Amen. All right, well, we're there in Ephesians chapter number 5. And Ephesians 5, this is now our third week in the book of Ephesians, and specifically chapter number 5, and there's been a lot to learn about and, and teach through uh, in this chapter. Tonight we're going to finish up Ephesians 5, and next week we'll be in chapter 6. And of course, the end of this chapter, verses 22 through 33, are generally seen as one of the, if not the most famous biblical passage dealing with marriage. This is where the Apostle Paul really breaks down the relationship of marriage. And in this passage, we learn about how to be a great spouse. And we're going to uh, learn that tonight. I'm going to give you some lessons on marriage from this passage. And I would encourage you, of course, to pay attention. On the back of your song sheet, there's a place for you to write down some notes. Now, let me just say this. If you're, if you're here tonight and you're married... This is sermons for you, all right? You need this. Um, we all need this. No matter how good your marriage is, um, no one has attained. No one has arrived. And uh, so I want you to listen up because your marriage can always be better. And uh, you should take notes and all of that. If you are here tonight and you say, oh, I'm, I'm just a young person. I'm not married yet. Well, good. This is for you because one day you may be married and you're going to need these things, all right? And it's better to learn it before you need it than to learn it once you need it. So um, make sure you pay attention as well. Maybe you're here, you say, um, you know, the situation in my life, uh, I'm not married, I'm not going to be married. Uh, well, you know, you might help somebody. You might have kids that are going to get married someday or grandkids that are going to get married someday, or you might just invest yourself into the lives of others. So these are good things for all of us to know. And, and at the end, there'll be an application that's for all of us, married or unmarried, um, and we'll see it here in this passage. But what I want you to notice is that what the Apostle Paul does in Ephesians 5, he, he focuses on two things uh, for both husbands and wives. He emphasizes this, I, this idea, or at least this is how I see it, or how I'm going to teach it to you. He emphasizes the idea of attitude and actions, attitude and actions. And um, what, what I mean by that is that he gives us the actions of a great wife. And what I mean by that is what a great wife does. He also gives us the actions of a great husband, what a great husband does. But then he also gives us the attitude of a great wife, how a great wife is. He gives us the attitude of a great husband, how a great husband is. So that's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to start with the ladies, uh, and I'm going to give you some actions and attitudes of great wives And then we'll shift gears and I'll give you some attitudes and actions of great husbands. But you're there in Ephesians 5, look down at verse number 22. The Bible says this, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Notice verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife. So here's uh, a great action or the actions of a great wife are this, wives are to submit to their husbands. Now, I realize that this is not a popular teaching today. Most churches you go to are not ever going to touch this uh, with a 10-foot pole, you know, and if they do, they're going to explain it away, and they're going to try to make it seem like something the Bible is not saying. But look, the Bible clearly teaches this idea that wives are to submit to their husbands. Now, what does that mean? Well, keep your place there in Ephesians 5. That's our text for tonight. But go with me, if you would, to the book of 1 Peter 1 Peter chapter number 3. Now, if you go backwards from the book of Revelation and you head back, you're going to find the book of Jude, the book of 3rd, 2nd, and 1st John, and then 2nd and 1st Peter, 1st Peter chapter number 3. So you have Revelation, Jude, 3rd, 2nd, and 1st John, 2nd and 1st Peter, 1st Peter chapter 3. And let me just say this. Let me give you three ideas in regards to what does it mean to submit. Submit means to come under the authority of their husbands. And really, in whatever area we submit in, whether it's an employee to an employer, whether it's, uh, you know, to government, whatever area that we have to submit in, it, that's what it means. Submit has this idea that we come under, like a submarine submit. We come under, we place ourselves under the authority. And in this case, a wife is to submit herself under the authority of her husband. Notice there in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 1, the Bible says this, Likewise, you wives, notice the words, be in subjection to your own husbands. The Bible teaches that they are to be subject, under submission, in subjection to their 
own husbands. Look down at verse number 5, same chapter there, 1 Peter 3 and verse 5. For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, notice these words, being in subjection unto their own husbands. So the Bible clearly teaches this idea that a wife is to place herself under subjection, that she is to be in subjection, that she is to submit herself to the authority of her husband. And, and, and by the way, ladies, especially the, the younger ladies that aren't uh, married, this is why you need to choose wisely who you marry. Because you are, when you get married, when you walk down the aisle, when you say, I do, I raise my hand like you're in court. You don't raise your hand out of one. But you know, that might be good though. But when you say, I do, and you put that ring on and say, I do, what you are saying is, this is the guy I'm going to follow for the rest of my life. If I'm going to be the Christian lady, the Christian wife that God has called me to be, I'm going to submit to this individual. I'm going to come under the authority of my husband. Now, what is that? actually mean to come under the authority? Well, it means this. Submit not only means to come under the authority of your husband, but submit means to obey your husband. You're there in 1 Peter 3. We read verses 1. We read verse 5. I'd like you to notice verse number 6. Even as. Now, the words even as, he's going to give us an illustration here. He's going to say, this is what this looks like. Because he says, look, I want you to be in subjection unto your own husbands. I want you to submit unto your own husbands. But then he says this, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as ye do well and are not afraid with any amazement. Notice that the Bible says here that Sarah obeyed Abraham. What does it mean to submit? It means that you obey. Submission means that you, if I'm going to submit myself to my boss at work, what does that mean? I'm going to obey what my boss tells me to do. And here, a wife, the Bible says, that she is to submit herself to her husband. What does that mean? That means that she's supposed to obey. Now, I'd like you to put a ribbon or a bookmark or something here in First Peter, because throughout the night, we're going to be going back and forth between Ephesians, First Peter, and the book of Titus. So go with me to the book of Titus, if you would. Um, from the book of Ephesians, you have Philippians, Colossians, 1st, 2nd Thessalonians, 1st, 2nd Timothy, Titus. Titus chapter number 2. From Ephesians, you have Philippians, Colossians, 1st, 2nd Thessalonians, 1st, 2nd Timothy, Titus. Titus chapter number 2. And, and, and I'd like you to put a ribbon or something there as well. And, 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 and those are the only three passages I'm gonna, we're gonna look at other passages, but throughout, throughout the night, we're gonna go back and forth between Ephesians, 1 Peter 3, Ephesians 5, 1 Peter 3, Titus chapter 2, alright? Ephesians 5, 1 Peter 3, Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, look at verse 5. The Bible says this, to be discreet. And this is, of course, we're not going to read the entire passage, but this is referring to the older women, the elder women, who are to minister to the younger women. They're supposed to teach the younger women, and this is what they're supposed to teach them. To be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good. Notice these words. Obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Obedient to their own husband, that the word of God be not blasphemed. So the Bible teaches this, that a wife is to submit. What does that mean? It means that she is to come under the authority of her husband. You say, okay, well, I don't have a problem with that. What does that mean? Here's what it means. It means you're supposed to obey. It means that you're supposed to do what your husband tells you to do. And what's really interesting to me, uh, is because people will argue uh, uh, with, with preachers like me about this. You know, we, we stand up and preach this, and they'll say, oh, you're some sort of male chauvinist pig. You know, you, I can't believe you would say that. You're teaching women to submit uh, uh, to their husbands. And, and here's the thing. And recently, I've even done this. You know, we teach people to submit in whatever area God has put biblical authority in your life. Uh, you know, submission is not a bad thing. It's not degrading. The Bible says that Jesus submitted himself unto the authority. God, the Son, submitted himself under the authority of God, the Father. So submission is a, a good thing whenever there is a biblical, uh, godly authority in our lives. But look, the Bible says that we are to submit. Now, sometimes today you'll have these women who want to argue with you and these, you know, uh, women's rights movements. I can't believe you're telling wives uh, to submit. But here's what's interesting. That same group tells all these women to go off to work somewhere and then they get some boss and they have to submit to that guy. You know, unless, uh, because here's the thing, not every woman out there in the workforce is all working for women. 
Uh, and, and whenever they're working for a man, they are submitting to that guy. Well, there's anything wrong with that? Well, here's the point. Here's what's interesting is that in this passage, uh, the Bible, the Holy Spirit, he emphasizes something. You don't have to turn back to these passages, but in Titus 2, 5, he says this, obedient, and then he says this, to their own husband. In 1 Peter 3, 6, he says, excuse me, uh, 1 Peter 3, 5, he says, after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection, notice these words, unto their own husband. 1 Peter 3, 1, likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husband. Ephesians 5, 22, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husband. Virtually, God doesn't bring this idea up without saying, look, you got to submit to your own husband. Today, we got it backwards when we say, oh, I'll never submit to my husband, but I'll go submit to somebody else's husband. No, you know, the Bible says you got to submit to your own husband and, and not submit to uh, somebody else's husband. And by the way, I'm not preaching about this, but let me go ahead and say this. There is an idea out there. I don't know where it came from. I'm not going to allow it to be part of Verity Baptist Church for sure. But this idea that, oh, you know, all women are supposed to submit to all men. The Bible doesn't say that. You know, and you got these young guys today in these types of churches where they're like, you know, some 20-year-old guy expects my wife to submit to him or something. You got another thing coming. And you say, oh, are you, are you threatening me? Look, you, you don't have to worry about me. You try to tell my wife what to do. You might get knocked out. You know, uh, you know she's, she's very submissive to her own husband. She's not going to sit there and listen to some other guy. And, and look, the Bible says that women are to submit to their own husbands. And obviously, we ought to be respectful in situations and, and use common sense. But the idea is this, that we are to submit. And, and today, people say, I can't believe you'd ask me to submit to my husband. But yet, they're... Hundreds of thousands of women submitting to somebody else's husbands, going to work somewhere else. So look, the idea is this, that you are to submit. You say, well, what, what is the action of a great wife? The action of a great wife is that she would submit to her husband. What does that mean? It means that she is to obey. Go back to Ephesians chapter 5. Now, let me just tease this out a little bit. We've already talked about this recently, so I don't want to spend too much time on it. But let me go ahead and just make the point how far should a wife take the obedience thing? You know, okay, I'm supposed to obey my husband. How far does that go? How far do you take that? Ephesians 5, verse 24. Ephesians 5, 24, the Bible says there, this, Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their, notice the consistency, own husbands, so let the wives be to their own husbands, notice these words, in everything. You say, oh, I'm supposed to obey him, but uh, how far do you take that in everything? Look, it doesn't say in some things. It doesn't say in most things. It doesn't say in the things that you agree with. It says in everything. And you say, well, you don't understand. My husband's an idiot, and he doesn't know, and I know more than he does about this situation or that situation or finances or child-rearing or whatever it may be. Here's the thing. You may be right, but he's still your husband. And you're supposed to submit yourself to him. What does that mean? It means that you're supposed to obey. How far does that go? In everything. In everything. Now look, if a husband was wise, he would take counsel from his godly wife. If a husband was wise, he wouldn't mess with things that don't matter to him. You know, in our house, my wife puts everything where she wants. I have no opinion. I could not care less. I, I couldn't care less about where, you know, how uh, the furniture is, how the frames are, how my wife says, I want to change the way the frames look. We change the way the frames look. I don't care. You understand that? Now, I could just, you know, I'm the man of this house, bless God. No, we're going to put that frame just, just six inches over. I could do that. And, and it should be, why, uh, why is submissive? Why be like, okay. But why? Why would it matter? Look, guys. Be smart about taking this too far, you know, and just there are some things that don't matter. Just let your wife do whatever she's going to do, whatever she wants to do in, in, in the areas that don't matter to you. Look, I don't know. Every time I walk into the kitchen, I have to ask my kid, where do we keep the spoons? Where, where are the cups? You know, I don't know. It doesn't make a difference to me. Whatever she wants, that's fine. So look, you got to be wise and smart. But the Bible teaches that wives should obey in 
everything. Now that does have an exception. Go to Colossians, if you would. Colossians chapter 3. Are there any Ephesians? You're going to go past Philippians into the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 3. And we've already talked about this recently, but I want to make sure we cover it. Colossians 3, there's an exception. Colossians 3.18, wives, submit yourselves, notice the consistency in the Bible, unto your own husbands. But then he gives this little caveat, as it is fit in the Lord. He says, you ought to submit yourself to your own husband. How, how far do I take that, God, in everything? In, in everything? Well, in everything as it is fit in the Lord. What does that mean? It means this, that if what your husband is asking you to do is not a sin, then you submit. If your husband's an idiot and says, no, I want the frame there, you know, and I, and, and I want, you know, to, to the couches to be arranged this way, whatever. If that's your situation, then you obey, then you submit, then you do whatever your husband uh, tells you to do as it is fit in the Lord. But as soon as your husband asks you to do something that is a sin against God, well, then the Bible says that we ought to obey God rather than men. So look, look, we don't get to just go to that obey God rather than men every time that biblical authority tells us to do something we don't like. You understand that? We only get to go to that obey God rather than men every time biblical authority tells us to do something that is a sin. So no matter how stupid the request is, no matter how dumb or how, how you think you're smarter, you are to obey all biblical authority, whether it's children obeying their parents, whether it's a wife obeying her husband, whatever the area is, we are to submit, which means that we are to obey. How far do we take that in everything as it is fit in the Lord? As long as it doesn't, uh, as soon as it doesn't fit within the realms and the boundaries of what the Lord has asked us to do, then we obey God rather than men. You understand that? So look, you, you can't, you know, you don't help your, your husband bury a dead body, okay? Um, you know, you don't, whatever. You, you, don't, you don't help them break sin. You don't help them, you know, set up a mob ring. You don't, you, there are certain things that you just say, hey, we ought to obey God rather than men. But as long as they're not asking you to uh, do something that's sinful, then you obey. Go to Genesis chapter number two, if you would. Genesis chapter two. And, and I'm dealing with the ladies to begin with, and then I'm going to transition to the men. Genesis chapter 2, first book in the Bible, should be fairly easy to find. And let me just say this, and, and I've said this already, recently, in regards to another, another context. But when it comes to submission and obedience, the only time you say, oh, I'm a submissive wife. Okay, well, there's only ever really one time, there's only ever really one time that you get to prove that. In fact, in any biblical authority structure, oh, I'm, I'm a submissive employee. I'm a submissive uh, church member. I'm whatever. Whatever the situation is. There's only really one time we get to prove that. It is when your authority asks you to do something you don't want to do. You don't agree with. You think, see, when your husband says, I want you to make this certain dinner... And you're like, well, I was going to make that anyway. You're not, that's not submission. That's just agreement. But if your husband's like, I want you to make this certain dinner, and you're like, no, you're getting hamburger helper. Okay, you're not, not, you're not being submissive. All right? Submission, being submissive, being obedient, only actually works when your husband or your biblical authority is asking you to do something that you don't agree with, that you don't want to do, that you don't like, and you decide and you choose to submit yourself under the authority anyway. So what does it mean to submit? It means that you place yourself under the authority. What does it mean to submit? It means that you obey. How far do you take that? In everything as it is fit in the Lord. What does it mean to submit? It means that you support your husband. It means that you support your husband. Genesis 2, look at verse 18. And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. And by the way, this verse is about marriage, okay? I've heard people use this verse about quarantines. That's ridiculous, all right? You know, oh, it's not good for man to be alone. So you have to go to the grocery store or whatever. That's weird, okay? This is not about being married. I will make him a help meet for him. The Bible said it's not good for a man to be alone. I will make him a help meet for him. What does the term help meet 
mean? It means a help suitable for him. It means a help that is helping him. And look, the Bible says that, that when a wife submits to her husband, part of that is that she submits, she brings herself under the authority. What does that mean? She obeys in everything as it is fit in the Lord. But what that also means is that she supports her husband. She becomes a help me. So look, if you say, my husband's a loser. Well, look, part of that's your fault. All right? Because you're supposed to help him succeed. You're supposed to help him uh, uh, support him. You're supposed to be his help me and help him to be the man that God has called him to be. So the Bible says, I will make him and help me for him. Go to Genesis chapter 3, look at verse 16. And I'll just show you one more verse about this uh, before we, we move on to something else. Genesis three sixteen, and And I just want to say this. The Bible teaches this. That God put a longing in a woman, whether women want to admit it or not, and most women admit this. I, I would say, I preach this for years, and most women say, yeah, you're right about that. You know, it's just the, the butch dykes out there that uh, want to disagree with this. But the Bible says that God put a longing in a woman uh, for her to want to willingly submit to a man that she loves and respects. Genesis 3, verse 16, notice what the Bible says. Unto the woman, he, referring to God, said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception, and sorrow thou shalt bring forth children. Notice, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. See, there are women, the Bible says God has put in them a desire a desire to have a husband that she loves, that she respects, that loves her, that takes care of her. She wants to willingly uh, submit to that. That's why for years there's been stories about princesses waiting for their shining, you know, white knight or whatever. It's because that desire, that's why little girls, you know, you don't teach them these things. They just play. You know, I've got four little girls. Nobody ever taught them this. They play, you know, weddings and and mom you know they take turns or one's the mom and the other one and, and then the other one's the kid and and you know it gets uh, interesting when they got to get spankings and you know all of that but it, it, why, why is that why do they do that because god put that desire in them because god put a desire that they would want to submit to a husband um that they would love and that they would respect go back to the book of ephesians ephesians chapter 5 so he talks about the action of a great wife. You say, what do I got to do to be a great wife? One word, submit. And, I, and obviously there's a lot that goes into that. You know, but, but, the, but, the, but the word, the key word in Ephesians 5 here is to submit. Let's talk about the attitude of a great wife. What is the attitude of a great wife? Ephesians 5 verse 33. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself... Notice these words, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. What is the attitude of a wife, of a great wife? It is an attitude of reverence. Great wives not only submit to their husbands, but they reverence their husband. What does the word reverence mean? It means to respect. It means to honor. Go back to 1 Peter chapter number 3. 1 Peter chapter number 3, look at verse number 6. 1 Peter chapter number 3 and verse number 6. The Bible says this, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, right? She submitted herself. She obeyed Abraham. But notice, we see Sarah's action. She obeyed. Now let's look at her attitude. Calling him Lord. Now the word Lord is an older word. When we think of the word Lord, we think of like a religious connotation. But in the Bible times here, the word Lord simply meant it'd be like calling him Sir. It's it's a it's a title of of authority. You're the boss. And here, the Bible says Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. What's interesting, and we're not going to take the time to do it. What's interesting, if you go back to the story that's being referenced to here. When she called him Lord, she didn't even say it out loud. It's not like she was t- talking to Abraham, you know, being sarcastic. Okay, Lord, whatever you say, Lord, you know, because that's how we, you do it, right? She actually, if you look at the story, she says it in her heart. She's just thinking about her husband, and she says, my Lord. She refers to him as 
her Lord. And it shows you why Sarah was a wonderful wife because of the fact that she not only was a great wife in action, she obeyed Abraham, but she was a great wife in attitude, calling him Lord. She reverenced her husband. Look at verse number 2, uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 2. While they behold your chaste conversation, this is talking about godly women, notice, coupled with fear. And again, the word fear there is in reference to reverence, in reference to respect. The Bible teaches that a great wife will reverence their husbands. Now, this is something, this is a, 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 a biblical teaching that's been lost in, in many churches today. But let me explain to you why this is. Men are wired to respond to respect. In fact, there's been studies done on on thousands of men, and they have found that men, and they study this in marriage, they study this at work, they study this in different areas, men would rather feel respected than they would rather feel loved. If a man is asked, would you rather feel loved or would you rather feel respected, most men, the majority of men, and of course there's always exceptions out there, are going to want to feel respected. Uh, the way that men are, are, are able to be communicated to, to engage them, is to give them or to reverence them or to help them feel respected. In fact, let me just say this, and some of you are going to know this just from your own marriages or, or whatever, when men feel disrespected, they usually shut down. When they feel like they're being treated like a child, when they feel like they're being belittled, when they feel like they're feel being insulted or disrespected, usually men, the response to that is that they just completely shut down. Because men are wired to respond to respect. They want to be respected. So God says to women in this passage, on this great passage on marriage, he says, hey wife, let me give you a little hint. Your uh, action should be submission. Your attitude should be reference. You want to be a great wife? You want to have a great husband? You want to have a great marriage? You need to submit and you need to respect. You need to uh, obey and you need to show reverence. Go back to Ephesians 5 if you would. Let's shift gears to the husbands. We talked about the actions and attitudes of a great wife. What are they? Submission? which means you place yourself under the authority, you obey. How far do you take that? In everything, as it is in the Lord. And you support. You're the help me. You help him succeed in life. You were the help suitable for him. You were put there to help him. And then we have the attitude. What is it? Reverence. Respect. It's you show respect. You don't belittle. You don't insult. You don't uh, uh, minimize. You show reverence. That's, you say, I don't like that. Well, look, you can do whatever you want with it. I'm just trying to help you in your marriage here. And I'm trying to teach you what the Bible says. And, and I'm telling you what every marriage knows to be true, whether it's succeeding or whether it's failing. This is what a good wife does. She submits and she shows reverence. What about a husband? Let's talk about the attitudes and actions for a husband. The attitude of a great husband is this, that husbands are to love their wives. Notice Ephesians 5, verse 25. Ephesians 5, 25. Husbands, love your wives. Husbands, love your wives. Now, it's not enough for God to tell a man to love his wife. So he really has to spend a few verses here and breaks this down. First, he tries a spiritual approach. And he says, look, what does that love look like? It looks like sacrifice. Husbands are to love their wives, and they are to love sacrificially. Notice Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church. And now Christ loved the church, what did he do? And gave himself for it. He sacrificed himself for it. He died for the church. And then God says, husband, you need to love your wife like Christ loved the church. What does that look like? That looks like sacrificial love. That means that, that, that if, if someone has to get the bad end of the deal, husband, you're going to take the bad end and you're going to make sure your wife gets the good end. You understand that? 
That means that you're going to, if, you, if anybody has to suffer, if anybody has to go without, if anybody has to sacrifice what they want, where, where they want the frame, whatever, you know, if, 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 in those areas, you're going to say, I love you, but I love you with sacrificial love. I love you like Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. So I'm going to sacrifice myself uh, for my wife. He gives a spiritual application. Now, God, I think God realized that that would probably go over most of the men's head. So then he gives a second application. It's a little more carnal. Notice verse 28. First, he says in verse 25, you need to love your wife sacrificially. Then, in verse 28, he says, you need to love your wife, love your wife selflessly. Notice verse 28. So ought men to love their wives, notice, as their own bodies. Now, he tried to go the spiritual route and say, you ought to love your wife like Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And most guys are like this. So then he's like, okay, let me tell you something that you'll understand. Love your wife the way you love your own body. And they're like, okay, I, I get that one. I understand that. So men to love their wives even as their own bodies. Notice, he that loveth his uh, wife loveth himself. And what he's saying here, guys, is hint, hint, it's in your best interest. You know, happy wife Happy life, all right? He's saying, look, he that loveth his wife, loveth himself. Notice verse 29. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth it and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. What's he saying? He's saying this. You're supposed to love your wife sacrificially. You say, I don't know what that means. I don't know what that looks like. He's like, okay, do this. Look at the way you love yourself. Look at the way you take care of yourself. Look at the way you nourish and cherish yourself. We would call that selfish love. Then turn that thing around and do that to your wife. That's selfless love. Notice verse 33. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself. He says, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. See, in the same way, and please understand this, in the same way that men were wired to respond to respect more than love. They'll respond to respect more than love. Now look, men need to be loved too, and we'll talk about that in a minute. The Bible is teaching us here that women are wired to respond to love. And when a woman does not feel loved, when a woman does uh, not feel uh, loved, look, when a guy doesn't feel respected, you know what he does? He shuts down. And when he shuts down, what he communicates to his wife is no love. Shutting down equals no love. But when a wife doesn't feel loved, you know what most generally, and of course there's exceptions out there, but generally speaking, the way they respond, especially if it's not a spiritual wife, a submissive wife, they're going to respond with disrespect. And they create this, this circle, this vicious circle of not feeling loved, not feeling respected, not feeling loved, not feeling respected. And if somebody doesn't end that vicious circle, it ends up in divorce. The Bible says that we ought to love our wives even as ourselves. Go to Colossians, if you would. Colossians 3, we were just there. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Because women are wired to respond to love. Women are wired to respond to love. You say, I love, I love my wife. Well, look, are you sacrificing for her? Are you loving her self Lessly, you say, I don't know how to do that. Okay, well, look at how you love yourself and then just do that for your wife. Colossians 3.19, the Bible says this, Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Now, why does the Bible say that? You know why it says that? Because when a husband does not learn how to properly love his wife, she will probably not show the respect, the reverence in return. And a lot of husbands end up getting bitter at their wives. So look, you say, oh, well, my wife doesn't respect me. Well, that's your fault. Now, I'm not trying to pick on you. I'm just telling you, you can change that. Because if you show the proper love to your wife, she will begin, and it may be a long time for some of you, all right? I get that. But she will begin to show uh, reverence. So we talked about the attitude of a great husband. What is it? It's an attitude of love. What does that mean? It's sacrificial and it's selfless. Let's talk about the actions of a great husband. In the actions of a great husband. Look at verse, uh, go back to Ephesians 5 and look at verse 23. 
Ephesians 5.23. What's the action of a great husband? The attitude of a great husband is love, selflessly and sacrificially. The action of a great husband is this. Husbands are to lead their wives. Ephesians 5.23. For the husband is the head of the wife. He is the authority of the wife. Even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Now, let me just say this. One of the biggest issues that we have in marriages, in rearing children, is a lack of men taking the leadership role. By and large, men are dropping the ball, which is why we have all the problems that we have in our society today. You don't have to turn there. Uh, Joshua 24, 15, this is what Joshua said, and he was giving a speech to the children of Israel. He said, and if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land that ye dwell. But, and here's how we see that Joshua was not just a great political leader, a great military leader, but he was a great family leader. He said, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Let me tell you something, men, we need you to step up and be the leader that God has called you to be. Your wife will submit. She actually desires, whether she wants to admit or not, she has a desire to have a a, a prince charming that she could follow, that would protect her, that would love her, but you need to step up and you need to lead. The husband is the head of the wife. So what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, look, look down at verse 26. Lead means you provide for her spiritual needs. Lead means you provide for her spiritual needs. Ephesians 5.26. And he, talking about Jesus, might sanctify and cleanse it, talking about the church, but this is being used as an analogy of marriage, with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Let me tell you something, men. It is your job to be the spiritual leader of your home. You need to pastor your home. One of the reasons that God gave a qualification to a pastor of a church is that he is to, uh, uh, to have his children in subjection, that he's supposed to have his, his home life uh, uh, in order, that he's supposed to rule his own house. How, how can a man rule the house of God if he can't rule his own house? So look, you, need, you say, well, I don't want to be a pastor. Okay, that's fine. But the point is this. You need to be the spiritual leader of your home. You need to help your wife grow spiritually. Your children grow spiritually. You need to be like Joshua and say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So you need to lead. What does that mean? It means that you are to provide for your wife's spiritual needs. It also means this. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 5. If you kept your place in Titus, Continue to keep your place in Titus, but if you go backwards from Titus, you have 2 Timothy and 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 5. It means that you're supposed to be the spiritual leader. Look, it's interesting because the Bible says, let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak. But they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home. You know what that implies? is that you're spending enough time in the Bible, you're spending enough time with God, that you're spiritual enough that your wife could ask you. Now we realize that not everybody has all the answers, and your wife might ask you a question, and you don't know, and you come to the pastor, look, I understand that, I'm not talking about that. The point that I'm making is this, is that God expects you to be spiritual. God expects you to read the Bible. God expects you to pray. God expects you to be growing and maturing in your spiritual walk. And then he expects you to be the spiritual leader of that home. To be the head, to be the leader, means that you provide for your wife's spiritual needs. But secondly, it means this, that you lead, leading means you provide for her physical needs. 1 Timothy 5.8. But if any provide not for his own, especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. The Bible says that you're the one that's supposed to bring home the bacon, and you're supposed to provide for your wife's physical needs. Go back to 1 Peter chapter number 3. Let me give you a third one real quickly. What does it mean to lead? It means that you provide for your wife's spiritual needs. It means that you provide for your wife's physical needs. It means that you provide for your wife's emotional needs. 1 Peter 3, look at verse 7. Likewise, ye husbands. Likewise, ye husbands. Notice what he says. He just got done telling your wife, 
You need to reverence him. You need to call him Lord. And then he says, he says, I like that. Okay, well, how about this one? Likewise, ye husbands, he says, dwell with them according to knowledge. Dwell with them according to knowledge. What does that mean? That means that you're supposed to know your wife. That means that you're supposed to know your wife better than anybody in this world knows your wife. Obviously, God being outside of this world. You're supposed to dwell with them according to knowledge. When you get married, you decided that you enrolled in your wife's name, university. And your job is to get to know that wife, that girl, that lady. Your wife, your, your job is to know her, to know what she likes, to know what she doesn't like, to anticipate her, to know what she thinks, to know her thoughts, her desires. The Bible says that you are supposed to dwell with them according to knowledge. Now you say, well, well how do I do that? Well, you're not going to do it by working on the car in the garage all night, every night. You're not going to do it by sitting on the couch and watching TV or watching YouTube videos all night. You're the only, there's only one way to get to know somebody is to spend time with them and to talk to them. You're supposed to meet the emotional need of your wife. You're supposed to dwell with her according to knowledge. Let me let you in on a little secret, all right? And you've heard me preach this. You, you, you've already heard this. Men generally seek companionship. Generally speaking, men seek companionship. What does that mean? It means that they want to have someone with them to uh, go through, uh, to share an experience with. You understand that? Men seek companionship, so they want to have someone with them to share an experience. That's why two guys go hunting for a week, you know, get on a truck, drive for eight hours, have no conversation other than the, you know, occasional grunting, get out there in the middle of nowhere, you can't even talk because you're going to scare the deer away or the bear away or the, whatever you're catching away. They sit there for four days like this, saying nothing, get back in the trunk, uh, grunt, you know, grunt, get home, how was it? It was great! I had a great time. Two women did that, they'd hate each other. I mean, if, if two women did that, they'd be like mortal enemies. But see, men, men, look, get this out of your head. Men and women are not created the same. Men see companionship. They want to share an experience with someone. They, that's why they like sports. That's why they like war. That's why they like hunting. They just want someone to be there with them to share an experience with. Ladies generally seek communication. They want someone to share their thoughts, their feelings, their emotions with. Look, I'm just telling you, you want to have a good marriage? If you're smart, you'd listen to what I'm telling you right now. Guys, you'd get better at communication. And ladies, you'd get better at companion. When your husband, you know, asks you, come out here and spend some time with me. He's working on the car and you're like, why am I here? He just wants you there. He wants to share an experience with you. And when your wife, sir, wants you to sit on the couch and talk with her, talk. How are you? What do you think? How was your day? How, talk about the kids. Talk about your marriage. Talk about uh, your work situation. Talk about what they're going through. Look, Women have an emotional need to communicate. And God commanded you, sir, to dwell with them according to knowledge. That's what it means to lead. So you lead by meeting her spiritual needs. You lead by meeting her physical needs. You lead by meeting her emotional needs. Go back to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. And you guys, let me just say this to you, and, 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 and maybe you can remember this. Here's your responsibility. You love your wife. How do I do that? Selflessly and sacrificially. You need to be loyal to your wife. You know, Jesus said that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. You need to be loyal to your wife. You need to say, this is, this is the, only, the, only, the only woman in my life is this woman right here. And let me say, you say, oh, you know, my wife, she won't follow me and, and you know, she won't lead, uh, she won't take my lead and all these things. Let me explain something to you. 
we need to lead from a position of moral authority. The only way that you can lead is when you love your wife properly and when you're loyal to your wife properly. And you say, oh, well, I've never cheated on her. Okay, but are you loving her? Well, I I love her, but are you being loyal to her? These are areas that we as men need to work on. When you lead, you must lead from a position of moral authority. By the way, that's true of every area of leadership. You want to pastor a church, you better pastor from a position of moral authority. You want the respect of your employees? You better, you better not be telling them to not show up late when you're showing up late. You be, you, you, we, we must lead from a position of moral authority. It's the only way to lead properly. To lead and not be hated by those who follow you. So what does a husband do? What are the uh, actions of a husband? He leads. He leads, which means he meets his wife's spiritual needs and physical needs and emotional needs. And he loves what does that mean? That means that, he's, uh, that, that, that he gives his love sacrificially and selflessly. Now, let me just say this, okay? Here's what we're saying. Uh, let, me, let me say this. Here's what we're not saying. I'm not saying that husbands, you know, should not respect their wives. Just love your wife, but don't respect your wife, okay? That's not what we're saying. In fact, the Bible doesn't even say that. Hey, the Bible says the opposite. 1 Peter 3, 7. Likewise, are you there? First Peter 3, 7. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge. Notice, giving honor. Giving honor unto the wife. What does the word honor mean? It means respect. To see them in a high regard. To give them a high esteem. So the Bible's not saying, women need love, men need respect, women don't need respect, men don't need love. That's not what the Bible is saying. Both need love and respect. Both need love and and reverence. Here, 1 Peter 3, 7, God commands you to uh, giving honor unto the wife, which means to give her a place of high regard, esteem, respect. All right? So we're not saying wives don't need respect. We're also not saying husbands don't need love. You say, oh, well, you said my husband would respond to love, uh, to respect and not love. Yeah, but he needs love too. Titus 2, look at verse 4. Let's look at it real quickly. We're almost done. Titus chapter 2, look at verse 4. Titus 2.4, that they may teach the young women, right? This is the older women teaching the young women to be sober. Notice, to love their husbands, to love their children. Here, the, the elder women are supposed to teach the younger women how to love their husbands. So we're not saying that husbands should love their wives but not respect their wives. We're not saying that wives should respect their husbands but not love their husbands. That's not, you, you need both. What I am saying is this. When you look at the passages of marriage, the overemphasis on the wife's part for the husband is to reverence. Submit and reverence. And the overemphasis for the husband towards the wife is to love selflessly, sacrificially. Why is that? Because men respond, men respond when respect is communicated to them. And they shut down when disrespect is communicated to them. Women respond when love is communicated to them, and they shut down when love is not communicated to them. And here's what you say, oh, uh, my husband doesn't love me. Maybe try showing a little more respect. My, oh, my wife doesn't respect me. Maybe try showing a little more love. In marriage, you need to stop worrying about what the other person is doing. Just stop worrying about what God has called you to do. And you know how God worked it out? He worked it out this way. When you say, I'm just going to, you know, he's, he's crazy and he makes some weird decisions, but I'm going to submit and I'm going to reverence and I'm going to honor him and I'm not going to disrespect him. You know what's interesting? God created your husband in such a way that when you do that, he wants to start loving you. When you say, well, no, he doesn't want to start loving me. But when I start respecting him, he wants to start spending time with me, which in your mind translates to love. It's this vicious cycle, circle. And if one or both could just say, I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do, your marriage would be wonderful. Because that's how God designed it. Women who do not give respect usually do not get love in return. Men who do not get love usually do not give, uh, get respect in return. And we realize that there's a lot of aspects that go into that and a lot of different things that go into that. But what God in this, this passage, this quintessential marriage passage The main emphasis is this. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. Now, here's what's interesting about Ephesians 5. 
What's really interesting about Ephesians 5 to me is this, that this quintessential marriage passage, the most popular, the most famous marriage passage in the Bible, is actually not about marriage at all. Ephesians 5, look at verse 32. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Paul said, I've actually not been talking about marriage this whole time. Everything I said applies to marriage. Everything I said is true of marriage. I've just been using marriage as an example because I've actually been trying to teach you about the relationship between the Lord Jesus Christ and his church. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, He says, nevertheless, he said, I've actually not been preaching about marriage this whole time. I've been preaching about the church. What does that mean? That means that we as a local New Testament church are to submit to Jesus Christ. Well, how do we do that? Well, he's the word. We submit to his word. We bring ourselves under the authority. We obey. We listen to the word of God. And then you know what God does? He washes us in his word. He sanctifies us in his word. He cleanses us in his word. Paul says, I've not actually been talking about marriage. I was just using marriage as an example. He says, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. He says, but, you know, since I use the example, let me just go ahead and say this, verse 33. Nevertheless, let every man, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself. And the wife see that she reverence. Her husband. And that verse 33, really, you, you, you want to have a biblical marriage? You want to have a good marriage? You want to have a happy marriage? Figure out how to do Ephesians 5.33. And you'll do it. You'll make it. It'll be everything God designed it to be. Because God designed marriage to be the beautiful picture, the beautiful illustration of the relationship that the Lord Jesus Christ has with his church. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father. Lord, we thank you for this passage. Lord, I realize that a lot of these things that are taught from the Bible today are not accepted by society. And uh, there are many people who will say, well, I don't agree with any of that. And I don't think that's true. But Lord, I, I pray you'd give us all wisdom to look around. I mean, look at, look at the marriages that are being produced outside of biblical guidance. That's not what you have for us. It's not what you want for us. Lord, I pray that every person here, especially those that are married, would not walk away from this sermon thinking, yeah, well, that's what my husband needed. Yeah, that's what my wife needed. No, Lord, that we would all walk away saying, what can I do better? How can I play my role better? How can I do what God has called me to do? So that we can experience a relationship like you like the Lord Jesus Christ experiences with the church. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen.